0: Good evening from Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Holiday Kirk. You are listening to the New Metal Agenda podcast. It's a little late over here in our neck of the woods, it's a nine o'clock P- PST episode. So our two co-hosts who are elderly, we wish them well, but they are hitting the hay. Instead, I've got a real trooper sick for the third time. Did you say third time? Yeah. Third time in what, a month? Uh, a couple of months, but yeah. <laughs> Lord a mercy. We got Double Z in here. What's up? Whoa. Big time celebrity guest. And I think this time more than any other time I've said that it's a genuine celebrity guest. We've got Kevin. Uh, fuck. Kevin. Kenny. There you
1: go. You nailed it. I did. Right. I'm glad we interact so much. We interact holiday on like a daily basis. We've 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 gone to a bar together in down, downtown Los Angeles. And you you had to think about
0: my last name. And that's really what you want out of a guest is to be the host of the podcast and going, oh, uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> You know what? <laughs> autism, autism, autism. I just say that now whenever I do something like that. I don't have, I don't know if I have it. I just say that and it generally smooths things over. <laughs> and you are the current host of TRL, right? Yeah, well, you know, like with places like MTV, they rebrand stuff a lot. So
1: it's basically still TRL. I, I used to host TRL and I still host the very same show. Uh, They just call it Fresh Out Live now, which is, okay. like the, you know, same studio, same, same idea. But
0: on TikTok? No, it's on television. And... And on TikTok, I'm assuming it gets disassembled. Oh yeah, to yeah, different yeah, yeah, platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yes. sure. For I was sure. not insinuating it was exclusively that. Yeah, I know that that <laughs> no. you were like, you were like, you son of a bitch. I know. my name. This guy forgets my last name and he goes, oh, "You're on a TikTok show and you? you're you're a TikTok guy, right?" No, you're like, no, this is over. But how um, do you put up with this guy?
2: You know I don't who know, else? actually?
0: It's, a good it's all falling apart. Kevin is also uh one of new metal's strongest soldiers working from the inside ain't that true Mm
1: -hmm. yeah absolutely actually you know i you would you told me right before we went uh live on the tape in here holiday that uh it's an audio only form but i want to create if you're listening to the podcast right now the new metal agenda i want you to use your theater of the mind and just listen to the reactions because i wanted to kind of prove my merit here of how new metal i am i have a very rare item that I'm going to show you holiday. As I typically do by the way, just the, the, the dynamic of our friendship is I send you random stuff and I try to stump you. And sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't. Got, got my, my ass you, you you got my ass what like a day ago? Not even. Yeah, not even. Okay, I want to I want to know if you've ever seen this merch item. Okay? I don't even know if this was sold on the tour by the way. This is an iconic 1999 tour. Three of my favorite artists of all time. All three new metal. Uh, Holiday hates one of them, which I want to get ZZ's take on that in a second. But anyways, you see this? It's the Destroy Your Liver Tour, 1999. Okay? And then you go to the front. Devil Without a Cause. No shit. shit. $400, (laughs) dude. $400.
2: And I also, hold on.
1: Hold on one second.
2: We're about to get schooled, aren't we? He's already shown us pieces of history. He's got some artifacts. Oh, no. Look at this. Yeah, I got the, I got no. the tour
1: poster as well. So that that tour, right? The destroyer liver tour, Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock and Stained opening up summer nineteen
0: ninety-nine. Oh, man. Um, For the record, I actually I do not hate Kid Rock or stained at all. I just think they're least singles. Oh like, um, dude, dude. On. I know I'm your guest. I'm not gonna let you
1: lie to the fans. You talk so much crap about stained uh-huh. and it grinds
2: like gear. But that's because I'm really article about thing. how you don't want to like even talk about them anymore. You read a whole fucking article about this
0: because I like them. If I didn't like them, I would just be like, fuck Stained. I don't care. I like their music. I know a lot of their music and I really like Stained, but that is not
2: what we're here to talk about. Well, what about Kid Rock? Yeah, <laughs>
0: I there think Devil Without a Cause is pretty good. I don't know. if I, Does anyone want to ride out for his other stuff? Not really.
1: I mean, I'm a eh, massive no. Kid Rock fan and uh, yeah, I mean, past Devil cocky was kind of an under you know but it was weird because he did the thing where he did the history of music or what was that what was that whatever american badass is off of he released like almost like a greatest hits after devil like it wasn't yeah. an actual album
0: yeah 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 it's called like the history of rock or something and it's that wasn't like that. a studio album no from what i remember it was like old music or
1: something i could be wrong but i remember it being like not an official album also do you guys still get, uh, have me
0: uh, my audio sounds weird on my end i got you okay cool yeah. right on. Today we are here to speak on one of the most hallowed institutions in, I would just say in pop music, not necessarily in new metal specifically, but I mean, if you were going to be anybody in the nineties, you had to be on TRL and I've actually been playing serious catch up. I've never, I had never seen an episode of TRL before I started working
2: on this episode. That's Um, right. You didn't have cable when you were a kid.
0: Yeah, and you're a tiny little child, so yeah, you, I'm too young. <laughs> so, yeah, so by the time you even had cable, TRL probably was a non-factor.
2: My frame of reference for TRL growing up was it was, uh, I think the first episode of iCarly they tried going to TRL to promote the show like within the universe because they're owned by the same parent company, they could actually use the official name TRL. And uh, yeah, things were show, desperate. Original. Then. I think the original run ended shortly after that, so I never got a chance to actually check it out myself.
0: So, I mean, what's spectacular, though, is I was just looking up the videos that hit number one and it tells you so much of the story right there because it is literally NSYNC and Backstreet Boys going, just trading off the top spot for like two fucking years and then Freak on a Leash breaks through. And that's the first non-boy band song, let alone first new metal song, but first non-boy band song to actually crack. The number one and it, it does help you understand like the narrative that corn were able to ride. Cause like corn was selling crazy albums. They were the reason that they hit number one was because they were selling like they were in sync or the backstreet boys, but because they had they got to break through that wall, you know, it made them feel like they were the underdogs, you know. Well, and and don't forget at the same time,
1: they're uh they share management with Backstreet. So The Firm, right, as Fred Durst shouts out, right, The Firm, who's always got my back, right, mm-hmm. uh, they he they manage Backstreet, Corn, and Biscuit all at the same time, which also explains sort of getting back to what you were saying about iCarly, the parent companies being the same one between Nickelodeon and uh, MTV, uh, when Biscuit on Significant Others, like, if you want the best, go get the Backstreet Boy CD. That was promo
0: for their, yeah. you know, management mates. Oh, man, I did and, not you know, know that. That's... I think that that's marketing they pulled off right there. I think when people and I think when people get nostalgic for this era, they're nostalgic for when monolithic corporations could build pop culture like that when you couldn't because like, you know, you couldn't if you wanted to tweet at the Backstreet Boys at the time, like you couldn't do that. You had to call the studio and, you know, they weren't picking up on you like you were allowed to shape the narrative. It was something I had actually talked about with uh, Max Collins of Eve six. I was telling him like, if a magazine or a series of magazines or a corporation just decided like, we're going to make puddle of mud, the next big thing, you didn't really have a say on the matter. So, but you did have to, well, they had a lot of
1: power, but I I do think that you, you, uh, I don't think we questioned as much. Like, I think the song still had to be good. Right. So like puddle of mud, just a random example, like control is still an incredible song. I think if control isn't good, they don't kind of go right. But, I think it's funny looking back at so much stuff where like so much of it is cringe or so much of it is so goofy or whatever, and it would just get torn apart on Twitter today, right? And probably be like canceled or thrown away or just chastised like the next day. I feel like we were like a less questioning public back then,
0: but and, and you know what though is we're talking about Backstreet Boys NSYNC and Sync and Corn sharing the same management, and it makes sense because Corn, I, I I always point this out, but Corn were a great, were a huge contrast to the their forebears and like industrial and grunge where corn were super eager to play the game to get out there and sell you know to do the road trips to do the radio shows to do the promo and when corn took to trl like you know you had jonathan davis in his white top hat and everyone had their looks and everyone was you know all kind of excited to be there and their fans in the street and they're screaming and stuff like They were they were still willing to play the game, and that's not a slight to them at all. But it is it is just the it's very clever, I guess, in how they seized this opportunity.
1: Well, if you if you really break down the marketing right and strip away the labels and and you know like how we know corn, I mean, uh, how many people are in corn in 1988? Four, five, David, five. five. Okay, so there's five dudes, right? Uh, There's five dudes in the Backstreet Boys, right? I think. Um, And if you break down just sort of like the composition of a freak on a leash it's kind of a pop song like if you Definitely. listen to freak on a leash dude that could be like a belinda carlisle song like you know like uh total eclipse of the heart i mean really if you listen to it i'm not t- they they tune it down and they do the corn thing but that's kind of a pop song and it's kind of a love song right and if you think about why that was able to coexist with um the boy bands of the time i don't think it's that alien from what the boy bands were doing so no, i'm not it-
0: sure. No, the lot. It's easier. It's always easier to connect the dots, especially when you listen to the MTV unplugged version of "Freak on a Leash" with Amy Lee harmonizing, because yeah. you hear her part in that, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I could see how this would work for the following artists." But it's still, but it still is a really iconoclastic thing to think of having a mainstream foothold at all. And the thing is, though, is that what makes TRL and MTV so important for new metal is, and and Corn actually talk about this on TRL in one of the episodes. Where Carson Daly's like, yeah, you guys didn't really get any radio play, huh? And Corner, like, no, radio would not touch us. Radio never played us because that's they didn't get on through radio. They got on through having crazy expensive, well done music videos, starting with Adidas and going all the way through until like Twisted Transistor, which had well, and no- also touring though, not to cut you off, but yeah, 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 the road aggressively,
1: yeah. and I think really taking advantage of emerging technology in the '90s and the Corn Fan Club and Corn.com and you know Corn TV leading to follow the leader. Um, yeah, they just really like super serve their audience, which is kind of the winning recipe in this day and age of music in
0: 2023. And they were doing it in 98. Yeah. And when you consider Fred Durst being like the vice president of ANR at Interscope too, at the same time, like that's so normal now, you know, like every musician's expect, that's something else too, that I talk about. I don't think kids understand that like in the nineties or the two thousands, when the record industry was like red hot. When you were a rock star or a famous musician, that was your whole job. You did not have side hustles. Like you didn't do TikToks. You didn't, nobody was bugging you about that. You were a rock star. And then there was like a machinery around you. But with Fred Durst and uh with Korn, yeah, like these guys were also like hands-on with their videos and doing the web streaming stuff and Getting fucking hired at Interscope as vice president. Like, that's crazy. Not only is that crazy, but it's also can never be understated how crazy it is that he signed three bands and all three bands would have a platinum album within like two years. It's wild. But I think that comes from Fred's uh, sort of like hip hop
1: upbringing, right? Like if you read the Spin Magazine cover from 99 about Biscuit and that whole summer with significant other, he talks about verbatim wanting to be the master P of, uh, of new metal of rock music, right. This entrepreneur. And in so many ways, Fred Durst really is an entrepreneur before he's anything else. Right. And I say that with all due respect, but, um, you know, he's an incredibly savvy businessman.
0: Yeah. And I've talked about that too, where he would like his Fred's key genius was realizing where he comes up short as a musician and hiring the best band he possibly could have to make up for that. And that's actually a really good point that I don't think I've ever put together myself because i i have spoke on how the history of rock and metal up until this point was like fuck you we don't sell out you know we don't sell out for anybody we're all about the music man and then new metal came along and it was like yeah we'll sell out we'll do whatever we got to do we'll sign with puma we'll sign with puma we'll get jobs at our record label who gives a fuck and you're right it does come from a hip-hop rap mentality which from like the jump had no like didn't have too much of a like sellout mentality it was always entrepreneurial
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it there. I mean, you're you're coming off the back of the mid '90s gangster rap movement. I mean, Puff. I mean, if you've ever seen like speaking of new metal, if you've ever seen the Monster Magnet video for Space Lord, I mean, it's a direct rip off of the Maze Feel So Good video. I'm gonna have to um, check that out later. Oh, it's amazing. Great first video. video, actually speaking of T-R-L, the first video ever played on Total Request Live was Monster Magnet number ten, Space Lord. And a cool behind the scenes story is the reason it got voted "quote unquote" number ten. Was uh they were managed by the same people that managed Manson and Manson was the guest that day to promote Mechanical Animals. Oh man, I've got I
0: can't wait to check that video out because that's some Video's more awesome. I should really know. Um, but watching TRL like catching up, watching TRL, I was really struck by how improv a lot of it was. Like I think that was really Carson Daly's magic was that he could just roll with it because it it's not a very scripted show. It's kind of and I think that's what people loved about it was it felt like anything could happen. Also P Diddy seemed to live in that studio. Britney Spears had a walk-on pass whenever she wanted.
1: Yeah. Well, Diddy's offices were across the, uh, and just, just for context to the, uh, to the listeners who are trying to do math, I wasn't there. I was a child when these stories were happening, but MTV always described as somewhat like a fraternity or a sorority or a college where it's like, Hey, class of 99. Like, you know, and you get these stories just through osmosis, but, um, Diddy's, um, offices were across the street in times square. And I think Diddy, uh, in the same way that like, say like a little Nas X kind of like really gravitated and took advantage of the TikTok platform when everybody's eyes were on TikTok or, you know, you see this happen or Cardi B who did that on Instagram when Instagram was really popping. P Diddy was so brilliant in just smothering TRL when TRL, every kid watched it, right? And then if you think about the iconography of like his music videos and how poignant um, Bad Boys for Life is, like he puts himself in the context of like a suburb, of suburbia with Travis Barker on drums, with Dave Navarro on guitar, Right. And he's just like marketing to that, like, you know, just middle
0: America, every, everyday kid. And he really, uh, I think made the most of it. And uh, yeah, and What Carson, new metal and what new metal band makes a cameo at the end of that one? Crazy Town. I knew I wasn't going to get you with that one. I, I knew that you would knock that one. I know my stuff. I got a great Crazy Town story for you. I, uh,
1: I'm not really a big, uh, pot smoker i mean i like sometimes now that i'm in los angeles and it's legal out here but not really and uh, i definitely wasn't back east and i became friends with the crazy town and they invited me to their show in brooklyn new york and dude i got so stoned um shifty wasn't doing anything because he's sober but like everyone else was and i got so stoned dude they we were in the dressing room and like they go to the stage and i walked to the stage and i'm like dude i'm on mars i basically didn't even see any of the show at all. I just when, had to get out of there. I was so high. If you've ever been that high. And when was that? Crazy town. Three years ago, four years. No. Well, I mean, dude, the pandemic screws me up. Maybe that was 2019 smoked was out by
0: 2019 crazy town,
1: dude. Yeah. It was like, but again, shifty was like on a sober deal, but it was like, I was beyond messed up. I was like, I got to get home ASAP. Didn't
0: did even you think about it. My friends. Did you see the episode of TRL where corn does the issues cover? Yeah. And the uh, cover bands, the cover band off. That is that was- the that's a really I mean, that was a really that was the one where it hit me, where it's like they're kind of making this shit up on the fly because they have these cover bands doing covers of Corn songs. And Carson's just like cutting them off during the oh, song. Well, like, dude. Yeah. The, the production of live television is fascinating because they give it's like a
1: script. Right. And it's like a plan. But then, you know, you might be light on time, heavy on time, whatever. And it's really on you to improvise from there. And that's why I love. I don't like taping anything. You know, when I'm on the radio, I'm on K-Rock LA every night. It's like you're live. And if you screw up, you screw up. But it's like the fun of it. But you're totally right where it's like there's parameters. But, you know, also these kids are on national TV, these corn cover bands. Like you almost need to cut them off because they'll probably just keep going. You know, they
0: they are all like so excited.
1: Can't imagine. Can't,
0: yeah, because I think you take it for granted that everyone has a camera now. Like oh, every dude. picture taken of you now, you're like, where are you putting that? You know, like, are you going to put it where thousands of people can see it? But at the time, you're like a cover band in your garage and you get a call to be on TRL massive and in it, front of like what the 18th camera you've ever been in front of in your lifetime well and like you were you were sitting before zz you're like on the younger side
2: yeah i'm in my uh mid-20s
1: okay so like maybe you know not to speak for you zz but like i don't even think people um can understand like how ubiquitous television was in like let's say 99 november 99 when issues comes out like story of holidays talking about and it's like dude everyone's watching that like there's one thing to do after school it's like espn mtv or maybe nickelodeon maybe comedy central dude those are four options i mean there are infinite options now and the fact that everyone and then mtv would replay the shows that's what people forget about right Is like we weren't all watching at that moment but all through the weekend they would replay it and dude it's like everyone saw that and it's it's like i don't know television was massive unthinkably massive by today's standards even the most followed tiktok account right the most Kim Kardashian, whatever, insert name
0: here. It's not as big as television was in like the late 90s. And the thing about, I think what from this era, because every era has the things you remember fondly about it and the things, because it is, it is important to remember that MTV was also public enemy number one. Like if you were cool or edgy of any kind, you were like, I fucking hate MTV. Like
2: that was what you did. You hated MTV especially uh punk bands like pop punk aside punk bands fucking hated mtv yeah
0: that was the cool thing to do but i think what people do miss about that era where television was big was it wasn't one person in front of a camera like you know doing their brand it was like a, a fucking building doing the art doing the assets doing the syndication and then that's how you get programs and bumpers and stuff that have that aesthetic nostalgia appeal like while i was going through and doing my research i saw this busta rhymes video uh commercial he did for mountain dew and it's like this it's this uh mad max takeoff and they're running these fucking semi trucks through the desert shit is exploding and not only does it look like it costs more than most movies today it definitely looks better because they're real trucks they're sending through the desert and it's like yeah that's how they that was the only game in town for advertising I on that—that TV- that sounds pretty sick. It was—it's fucking great, but that was it. You spent all your money on TV ads because you're either on TV or where are you? Nowhere. Well, and I think there's
1: actually a parallel to music, and I think a big issue with music now is it's like I almost describe it as like music used to be like restaurants, and now it's fast food chains, right? Because the the economics of it has changed. Streaming has changed it. It's a it's a it's a free product versus a twenty dollar product, and it's like man, like. That's why that stuff sounds so good and why it still moves us today. Because like, like I don't know about you, uh, guys, but I wasn't a fan of new metal as a kid. Like that was like my like you know not that I have an older brother, but that was like an older brother's kind of stuff, right? Like I was more into like because rap kind of took over in the early two thousands, right? And so I always like, I think what's fascinating to talk about. I don't know if you've ever delved into this idea, but like if you if you discover Fred Durst before Jay Z, Fifty Cent, like the real takeover of rap. Like he can kind of be he can kind of pass as like an MC, right? And that's how he's marketed in 1999. But I wasn't like around for that, right? And so like I discovered, my my first um uh limp biscuit memory is like watching TRL and seeing the behind blue eyes video, and he's like got his shirt off and he's like kissing. And I was just like, dude, who's this guy? This really guy's doesn't like a tool. work. Yeah. yeah, and you gotta remember, like, I'm I'm listening to In the Club, I'm listening to like G Unit Stunt 101. Like, that was just not the vibe what that guy was doing with the Who
0: cover. I love that song now. But uh, and it wasn't the vibe universally. Like even Limp Bizkit fans at that point were like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Making out with Holly Berry, shirtless everywhere. Like, you know, that was the end of it. And that was where the two flipped, the polarities flipped, and you had rap firmly on top and new metal and rock and metal music just falling.
1: Well, it's tough because, you know, like we can talk about RMV if you want or, or not, but i that's always a fascinating album to me because if you listen to Fred's lyrics, it's almost like he knows there's so much for, foreshadowing on that record in terms of like, you know, it's almost over. There's a song literally called It's Almost Over. You know, there's this whole sentiment of like this is coming to
0: an end. And, and it's, it's like, also it's- he's also trying really hard to make a stained album because he does see the writing on the wall. It's, it, it is his entrepreneurial yeah. mindset. You know, he sees the writing, he sees what's selling, what's not. He just signed Stain, Stainer's six platinum now. And he's like, okay, I need to pivot in that direction, but he can't do it. You know, he's not a, he's not a singer. He doesn't have that same gravitas that even Aaron Lewis had, where he could draw people in and make himself look deep. You know, he's, he's, he's a showman. Well, and by follow three, like Iraq
1: war rock takes over. Right. And so like, Aaron can do that. Like third, three days, uh three, th- three days, well, three days grace, but three doors down can do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, Fred kind of can't do that. I think I-, I love playing this game with my new metal buddies of like, what would you have done if you're Fred Durst in like, 01, oh, one, oh, two, and Wes leaves the band. Uh, you know what I would have done? I would have said. I'm doing a solo record. Now I don't know what the contract looked like if he was do if Interscope was doing another biscuit record, but I would say, look, my contemporaries are all going solo. Like Nick Carter's going solo. JC Sage is going solo. Uh like Brittany Christina, they're evolving. Uh, Justin Timberlake's going solo. Well now Fred Durst is gonna go solo, right? And then what I would have done is done like the Drake move. Drake was brilliant at this. He signs talented people and then takes their songs, right? And he did this with Party Next Doors and RB Act. He did this with Majid Jordan, et cetera, et cetera. I would have said if I'm Fred, I would go. Aaron in a room, Wes Scantlin in a room, Scooter from Cold in the room. There I'd are your tents.
0: Get in the tents, dude. That's write what a a I'm saying. Album now. And, I, and it would have
1: been like the Fred Durst album. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. And I you, think you know what. Like he could have done like just one last thing. Like when you hear a song like "Finger Eleven, uh, one thing that could have mm-hmm. been a Fred song,
0: dude. Fred could have done that.
1: Fred could have totally done that, dude.
0: The thing is though, the only thing Fred could have done at that point to avoid what happened was disappear there is no scenario where he releases music after 9-11 and it and it works out for him people needed him to fail he was way Mm. too big he was omnipresent everywhere he was fucking singing on the 9-11 telethon with the goo goo dolls guy you know he's doing like the mtv 9-11 rap i'm here to say 9-11's whack in a major way like people and it's it's just natural. People see you build people up, and you want to see them fall in the public eye. And at that point, people—I mean, people—must have just been chomping, salivating for him to fuck up so they could tear him down. So I think the only thing Fred could have done at that point would be disappear and maybe resurface later. But it's 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 hard to say because he would have for him to resurface later, he would have been resurfacing when the. Well, I don't know because, like I say all the time, the the um the worst thing that happened in New Metal was probably ever happen in New Metal was Saint Anger, 14 Shades of Grey, and Results May Vary all come out in the same year. And I think that just crushes public appetite for more new metal. And if you can maybe take away one of those albums, you know, we have a little bit better of a run. Well that's interesting because I have another theory that I think plays into it
1: and it kind of is around the same date is I think what really kind of um hurts Biscuit specifically, but also maybe new metal is Lincoln Park? I mean, in the absence of, in the span of Chocolate Starfish to RMV, right? So 2000 to 03, you get Hybrid Theory, which goes Diamond, and then you, which has no cusses on it, by the way, and yep. then also Meteora. And so it's like I, I almost feel like the public went, okay, well, like we've got our band now. This is like the fully formed idea of new metal, and they're the best at it, and it's the best songwriting, the best vocals, everything. Instrumentation is fantastic. We're good here. You know, and it, it doesn't have any of the, um, you know, the durstness of it or the anger, the massaging. There's none of that, like, negative stuff in Linkin Park's music.
2: I think uh, similarly P.O.D., because after 9-11, people were really looking for, like, kind of like a positive spin yeah. on rock music rather than a negative angsty, oh, I... I hate disagree It's corn style shit like I disagree. more uplifting music.
0: I don't think people were looking for that. I think Clear Channel was looking for that. I mean you're right, but Clear Channel like was you looking said earlier, for
2: the corporations were making people's decisions and making what culture is. There wasn't an internet for people to like choose what they wanted to be into. I've i am just I've always
0: been skeptical that the that the broader public was like, "Oh, 9/11, take the metal away, no more metal." Cuz system was still selling out the fucking shops. They were moving crazy units. Their singles were charting higher and higher every time. And that's a band out of any band that you'd think would have suffered immensely after 9-11. No, they did spectacularly. And then Slipknot goes on tour with them, and it's a fucking blockbuster tour. So I've always been super skeptical of the idea that the general public was like, we need Enya now. We can't. Oh, this Well, this you know what noise. I think it was more than anything? is like it was definitely
1: because I grew up in New Jersey, right? So I feel like that's like the epicenter of like people affected by 9-11. And I I definitely I don't know if we didn't want metal or aggressive music, but I definitely remember it feeling like a new day and kind of like, you know, maybe we had this because if you think about post 9-11, a lot of things change in music, right? Like corn goes away, biscuit goes away. But you know who emerges? Not that they're new metal, but like Nickelback,
0: right? Like think about where rock goes. It goes in a very different new direction. And so, um, what the I was literally just contemplating this on my bike today because this is what I think about all the time. Hybrid Theory Hits does what it does, sells, yeah. you know, many tens of millions around the world. And it establishes this template hard pop songwriting. You know, I want these, I want verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out three minutes max, you know, hard pop songwriting, clipped clipped um levels it's very trebly there's not a lot of low end sounds great on radio and speakers and it's clean no swearing and it's very straightforward anyone can relate to any of those songs and that set the template for rock music as a mainstream force and in 22 years it hasn't changed that's still the template it's not like when nevermind hit And it made everyone kind of scramble like, wow, what are the rules to the game now? What can be popular? What can go diamond? Hybrid theory happened. And it's like, that's how you make a mainstream rock album. And everything after that, from like Muse to Imagine Dragons to Bring Me the Horizon, they're still following that one template. And then the new metal bands themselves had to reorient themselves around that template. So Korn had to do songs with Avril Lavigne's pop songwriters, The Matrix, and uh, Z pointed this out. I didn't even realize it. Slipknot's next album, Volume Three, has no swearing on it, and it also has pr- much firmer pop dynamics. Um, Limp Biscuit also tries to do more sing-songy poppy stuff, and that's that. That continues to be though the the exact template. Also, I can't find any Lincoln Park TRL content. I did check around for that. You'd think they'd have been all over that. That's
1: interesting. I they may have been more of an MTV Two band because that was a real sort mm. of like genre split, MTV yeah. or MTV Two. I I used to love listening to uh, or watching, I should say, MTV Two because they would do those like genre blocks. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely hear you with like like after um, Hybrid Theory, just rock progressively getting stale. Um, but it was just also like it was just so much musically like denser and richer than New metal was do you know what i'm trying to say like it's like in the end like i don't think biscuit could have ever written in the end no not that they should have
0: but it's just like you know what i mean like that's a that's a number one pop song but i mean that's like here's the thing though the problem though is that the sound of hybrid theory is finished there is nowhere to go with that sound you can't innovate on that it's done it's not like with corn self-titled or nirvana's Never mind, or Appetite for Destruction by Guns of Roses, where there's like other places to go. The Linkin Park template is done, they have taken that sound as far as it can go. And that's- well, I would argue, though, that hybrid theory
1: is like the furthest, like they that's not their sound, like they ended the new metal sound. I think Meteora is like the furthest you can take new metal, in my opinion, in that incarnation, in that generation. Like, well, who iterates past that? I mean, I guess systems pretty. System's pretty eccentric, you know, in what they do with their influences and and, and culture that they bring to new metal. But yeah, I would almost say like to your point about like rock never iterating past, like I would say minutes to midnight is probably more so that where that's like a formula. You know what I mean? (sighs) Because rock sounds dude, rock is a snooze right now, bro. Like it is just, and I get it. Like, dude, it's, it's a pain in the ass. It hurts your fingers to learn the guitar. It's tough to find guys to jam with. Right. It's way easier. Just make some beats and logic or Ableton or whatever you use. Right. And, um, but it's kind of tired right now. I mean, like-
0: yeah. And I think, but I think it's exciting to give people back the energy of when rock could be uh, a participant in mainstream culture and also something totally. that pushes things forward. Like I always think about P Diddy standing off to the side of the stage at Woodstock 99, watching Limp Bizkit perform like a fan, you know, like, ugh. and then also, Dr. Dre rapping on that Eminem song like we start riots like Limp Bizkit like those bands were fucking cool rappers wanted to be like that uh Pharrell talks about how with N.E.R.D. he wanted to capture the energy bands like Papa Roach had at the time and then they did a song with Jacoby Shaddix for the Biker Boys soundtrack like the rap and hip-hop and R&B guys were looking at new metal going that shit is so dope how do I capture some of that and I think explaining to, to the to the youth like to show them like that used to be a thing. I think it's really inspirational because that's dude, certainly not how the fuck it is now.
1: No, totally, dude. I don't know how it got so boring, but I'm hoping that people can inject some life back into it, man. Of uh, well, the thing is, used- is
0: everything has it has its run. I'm not like in despair that new metal had to go away. Like I think 1994 to 2003 or 2004, it's a great run, it's ten yeah. years, baby, ten totally. years. But what I always say is that it was what happened after that where journalists felt like they had a bone to pick with new metal and wanted to crush it and wanted to like really make it into something you hated, you know, you had to like, f- this is the worst genre ever that wasn't supposed to happen. Like that didn't need to go on like that. That's what put rock under, I think for a while. Well,
1: I just think the most compelling artists of the generation, like didn't want to, cause it's almost like land. Like you get to a point where there's no more land to explore. Right. And so it's like, you know, you had rhythm and blues and then you had, you know, like a doo-wop or you had like classic rock and then you had all these iterations, right? And I think hip hop, funny enough, is kind of finding itself in a space
0: like that right now where it's like, well, where do you go, right? Because like- No, because this is- Oh man, for everyone keeping track at home, I know that I probably have brought this up on at least three different episodes, but what makes rap magic is that rap music is allowed to absorb all the genres it wants and still stay rap. With rock and metal music, you're only allowed to get so far before people are like, ah, ah, ah. Ah, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. You still have people today that'll be like, you can't rap in metal. Rap should never happen with metal. Like, people want to draw those lines. And yeah. that's what makes rock into something boring and something that you, you know, comes out the definition of is this big. And it can't be any bigger than this. Like, rap is allowed to be all of these different things. It can be techno, it can be EDM, it can be garage, it can be two step, it can be jungle. But rock and metal is this. It's just that. And, and, and new metal was the, probably the most successful effort ever to make metal into something that could also be whatever it wanted to be, no matter how good or bad that was. Well, it's funny. Cause like, I'm, I would never like front as like
1: a huge metal head, you know, like I'm not that into Slayer no. or like no. I'm not, but new metal, it's just, it's got that bounce. It's got that rhythm, man. And I think that's what rock is missing right now is like, I hear so much new rock at work. And I'm like, man, this is, you guys like, are so boring and then people are just like living i think more boring lives than ever before right like they're not going out and like having experiences at bars or restaurants or post mating or they're you know they're just like i don't know like there's just so many things that i think fed those songs right like you know you can make fun of fred's lyrics but like that guy lived a lot of life and he says wild shit because like you know it's like or even jonathan i mean listen to jonathan's lyrics and I think that's kind of plaguing rock a little bit now where, you know, people rappers have, I would say, like predominantly like, more exciting lives than
0: rock bands right now. For sure. I, I do want to point out, we were talking about POD and 9-11. I have it open right here. I was watching it before we came on here. And every once in a while, TRL did have to tackle like a tough subject. And TRL mm. was not the format for that because the, I, like the idea was like on this episode where POD come on. And it, I think it was literally like days after 9-11, POD come out and all the fans as they're supposed to was like, yes, screaming at the top of their lungs to get out there. Carson's like, what's up, guys, man, you guys are a hey, number one again. So anyway, 9-11 and everyone just kind of has to just like turn it off like it's a switch. It's on or it's off like a, a full there's a full episode on YouTube, an hour uh, with commercials and the episode was shot two days after Aaliyah's plane crash, after Aaliyah died. And Pete oh, and Diddy's, Diddy hosts, right? Diddy hosts it. Yeah, and they're like, you can just see like them just struggling to get through the fucking show. Like they're like, I can't do. They're you know, oh, and you know, here's in sync. Whoa, and you can just see they're just dying inside. And yeah, I. But but when you're a kid coming home and flipping on the TV, those were those might be the first people. in in front of you trying to make sense of that to you like that's you know that's a lot of responsibility and people have to understand like that was your uh, outlet because you
1: didn't have a chat room really you didn't have message boards really you didn't have a twitter you didn't have like you're not texting your friends really in 2001, you know, when either of those events happened. So that was like this like communal thing. You could see people that looked like you, that were your age, like experiencing this and, and how were they reacting? That was the best you had in 2001.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great point. And and like you and you'd see people you looked up to as well. Like that's how they were processing that. And, and you can see like the emotion just coming through. Like they're not, there's no way to really stage manage that. If you're going on live and, You know, you got to come up. You got to say something. You're in New York. You're right there. Oh, totally. Um, So this, but I do think also looking at like the number ones, the list of number ones tells an incredible story of pop music where you have like the battle of the boy bands going on and then the new metal insurgency. And then it gives way to 50 Cent and uh, acts like that. And maybe some lighter pop stuff like Michelle Branch makes its cameo appearances. But one thing remains constant. Like the sun in the sky, there will always be Eminem. Eminem never, ever leaves this fucking chart. He is on here all the time. D12 is on here all the time, taking number one. Like, you know, Eminem is just another one of those dudes that took on a really hardcore anti pop posturing and was the most pop star ish of them all. Like, he had the longest run for sure. Yeah, you know
1: like I TRL gets a lot of comparisons to a show of like the 20th century called uh American Bandstand which kind of launched the host Dick Clark's career if you've ever heard that name. And you know if 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 that's if TRL is our Bandstand like Eminem is our Elvis. I mean that yeah, guy if you, if, you know if if that guy was just so massive, so ubiquitous in the early 2000s and unlike anything we'd ever seen before in music or rap for that matter. And I think when you look back at TRL the lasting legacy at least through a music scope got to be eminem i mean they broke eminem they were the first people to play the video for my name is uh and then if you think about didn't the lead they? single did, off didn't of, they yeah and then they did so break if, eminem if you think about the lead single off of the following album marshall mathers lp a year later he's talking about trl in that song right i mean he's uh you know fred durst better switch me chairs carson daly etc christian Aguilera, britney Spears. and then and then um white america i go right. on trl you know how many hugs
0: look, i get you know And he was really good, though, at, at giving the person listening that sort of like like it's something Drake does really well, has always done really well, is even even though he is, you know, rich and famous beyond anything you could possibly imagine, he'll write these songs that let you get into his head and look through his eyeballs and make you feel like, man, I'm sat on this private jet right now thinking about my girl. Damn, like you are like, you're like, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And Eminem was really good at doing that too, where you could get into his skull and feel like you were winning with him. And you you cheered him on because of that, because he felt like the underdog, no matter what, he outsold, a outsold everyone. Oh, everyone's ridiculous. ridiculous. Like you wanna like you're gonna come at the backstreet boys, you know, you're here to kill all the boy bands, but you're doing crazier numbers than they are.
1: Yeah, I think 1.76 first week for uh Marshall Mathers, yeah.
0: Yeah, ridiculous. Who it's crazy. Do you think you can guess the last number 1 video on TRL? I'm um, not from the is it from the finale or is it like from is it from the last episode? Last contemporary top 10. So before okay, so they this started. is like no
1: this is like fall 2008. Yeah. Um
0: Can you give me a genre? Uh R&B, hip hop. You can keep narrowing it down actually. That would uh, be cool. sure. Is it is Chris Brown involved? No. Good good. Good is metric. Lil Wayne
1: involved? Nope. Is Neo involved? Yes. Ti and Neo? No. Rihanna and Neo?
0: No. And you're like circling Yes. Yes. Yeah. it's uh, easy. Yeah, get in there. Is it Usher? No. No. Okay. No. Neo and Usher. They should have done
1: something together. Uh, no. You're saying Neo? Is it Neo and Plies? Mm-mm. No.
0: Is it? But I'm trying to guess a rapper because he said there hip-hop. is a featuring. There is a featuring. Oh, so it's Neo featuring Fabulous. Okay, it's featuring two guys. One is also known as an actor. Fabulous. You said fabulous. Yeah.
1: Neo fabulous. And? Jamie Foxx? Yes. Boom. There you go. What's the the song called? Oh, is it? It's
0: called She's Got Her 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 Own. Own. I don't even. God. You know what I have to say? And I don't feel
1: bad really about saying this is uh, TRL got so lame when I was like in middle school. Like it was really cool to watch when I was like really little. But then it got so lame because I think at a certain uh, point, they just they weren't being honest about what the top 10 was. Right. Like, I, I distinctly remember watching in middle school at one point and there was a Lindsay Lohan song that was number one. And I remember looking at my friends going, who the fuck voted for this? Like, like none of the girls in our grade were talking about this song. We'd never heard this song before in real life.
0: And it was like number one in TRL. But yeah, there's a a couple of those where you where I was just going through the number ones and I was like, I'm trying to find one of them now. They all get one week, but it is you do think to yourself like like who is voting for help me by Nick Carter? Nobody. I mean, really
1: nobody, unless it's like an email chain campaign or something like that. But like nobody, dude, because I think you know what really started. So here's here's a TRL story that nobody talks about. So TRL has this bonanza of a debut season in 98, 99. Right, it's the first time they're on, and really, what it is is it's capturing the anticipatory cultural sentiment of social media, right? Yeah. So, so millennials are going to grow up and want to do social media. They're going to want to like have these social channels, and they're gonna wanna, they're going to want to see themselves in media, and and TRL sort of anticipated that um, a couple years before, and is really powerful. And so, but from every season after the first season, it is hemorrhaging viewers like 20%, 25% because Carson Daly leaves in 2002. And somebody might go, why would you leave that? What a great gig. You left for like the middle of the night, late night show. That show was a shell of itself after three years. And I think a big reason is, is in August of 99, Napster comes out. Mm. And I think once kids don't have to interact with the show anymore to get their music, they start to not do it, and then the other thing that I think hurt TRL was a self-inflicted wound when MTV launched the channel MTV Hits. I'll never forget it. It was just wall-to-wall music videos. It was like 2003. Why would I ever watch TRL? I'm just gonna watch the videos.
0: I don't have to deal it's, with these VJs. I'll just watch yep. the videos. You know? You will, yeah, overdoing it. And I, but I do sure, think that TRL. Themselves. I do think TRL carried its cultural clash into at least like what do we think in 2003. Because I was looking through these as well, doing my research, I had no idea how important TRL was to
2: Good Charlotte. Good Charlotte owned TRL. Fallout Boy, from what I understand, was a big TRL band. Like, Maybe, yeah, but see, well. that's
1: when it was lame, dude. Like, I'm just like, not to be like, oh, I was there, but like, I just feel like I was probably like, what was I? I was 12 in 2003. I just was like, I like okay, perfect example. Summer '02, 02, summer 2002. I discovered the band New Found Glory on MTV2. And I'm like, this band rules. This band's awesome. They're on the radio. They're like, my band, right? And then they
0: got on TRL the next year. And I was like, they're lame. I, just I was just about like, to say, I was about lame. to say, if you like, were 12 and you're saying something is lame, it's probably fucking lame dude that's
1: what it's just it got like like the set got really bright and like girly the hosts had no idea what they were talking about music wise i mean really because carson Daly, like people want to rag on carson Daly, whatever and they used to do those snl skits of like i'm a tool or whatever dude carson Daly was like a legitimate music aficionado he came from k-rock los angeles which was the biggest alt-rock radio station still is in the country um and he had like a pedigree right and so he got that job because he knew a lot about music. And then they switched to these, like, five people that, like... I mean, Lala, Lala was a great host, and she came from Atlanta Radio. She used to work with Ludacris. She was kind of cool. But, like, a lot of those hosts, like, were just kind of, like, pretty faces or just young kids. And as a, as a 12-year-old, it's like, you could tell, dude. Like, I couldn't articulate that at 12, but you kind of tell. So it was just... I don't know. It wasn't that cool of a show anymore. And then, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd, like, the used would look so out of place on that show. You know what I mean? Like were they, they have you yeah they did like spanking new band week in 03 and that's when like they really Wasn't invested that... in like oh they
0: did do that they did yeah. do that spanking brand spanking new music week yes well yeah, yeah, ba- yeah, but yeah. they
1: did it specifically band week in 03 because music was changing i mean you had all these bands that were like really popular like it was emo before we knew what emo was and they had to get involved because it was a you know a cultural sentiment but yeah good charlotte i mean but good charlotte might like Good show that was like really involved with MTV. I mean, they used to host the rock show on MTV 2 the Madden Brothers. And there's a lot of business going on there.
0: Consuming a lot of MTV culture for like what I do, especially when I'm finding stuff to watch on stream. If you watch enough MTV related media, you start to find artists that you can tell MTV were like, we're going to really get behind yeah. these yeah. guys. And a big one was Papa Roach. They had Papa Roach on fucking everything. Cribs, sure. The Road Home. Do you remember The Road Home? They had him on that. No, what that. That was where they like go back to their hometown now that they're That's famous cool. and like go around and chat with everybody. Well,
1: I mean, dude, like David Cyrilnik is a name. I don't know if you know that name, but he was like the head of production. I mean, don't call me on his title, but he was like a big wig at MTV. If you if you open the booklet to Significant Other, I mean, David Cyrilnik is thanked. And his picture is in the booklet, like the liner notes of Significant Other. And I mean, to me, like, you know, of course, one day we'll get the Biscuit documentary. But the
0: Biscuit story is just as much an MTV story as it is anything, you know? Yeah, I mean, but, and that's true about all new metal until Linkin Park, because Linkin Park put numbers on the boards, you know? Whoa, and what still- do you
1: mean? Like Biscuit didn't? Biscuit sold a million five first week. What do you mean? Pop charts. Lincoln Park oh, on the pop radio. charts. They did
0: cross over. They crossed over
1: for sure. But and- also you could argue who teed that up, right? Like I was just talking to Chad course, from Nickelback. And I was saying, I go, you know, I, I was saying to Chad, I was like, look, dude, I'm not saying anything bad about how you remind me. I love that song. But that song so disproportionately outperformed all of the contemporary songs of, of the same Sonic ilk. You know, what do you think it was? And one of my theories that I was talking about was like, America had just been teed up for you, right? Like they had just been like it's almost like when the entrees come to the table, right? Like you had the Scott Stapps, you had the Eddie Vedders, you had the whole like and you then you came along and it's like, oh yeah, like, like this is the culmination of of grunge to post grunge to nickelback. Yeah. And I think Lincoln Park was that for New Metal.
0: You're 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 totally right. Cause they like they were the ones to come along and synthesize it into pop, like. Little diamond, you know, like there is no more squirrely weirdness here. It's like you, every single bit of this registers as a pop song. Like I even I even put up there was some dumb Twitter quote thing going around where it's like, oh, name a perfectly written pop song. And I volunteered in the end and people were coming at me like, this isn't a pop song. Are you fucking crazy? I mean, it's one of the biggest pop songs of a decade.
1: It's a billion streamed song.
2: I mean, to this day, it's still one of the biggest like pop songs ever. It's one of the only songs on uh, Spotify to be over a billion plays. Yep. Who can name the song
0: that kept it from the number one spot?
1: Um, that would have been two thousand two. One and no, on yes. the pop, it didn't cross over to pop until two thousand two.
0: Definitely two thousand one. Oh, me the oh No, oh no, <laughs> Is this is this the thing? I'm going to the mat. It crossed over. It was a number two in two thousand and one. I know it was. I can I'm looking at it right here. What chart is it? Pop the Hot 100.
1: The Hot 100 and give hot me 100. give me
0: I'll tell you what the number one This is how good I am. I'll tell you what the number one was, but just give me like the <gasps> date. You know what You know what else is fun about taping is you can cut embarrassing stuff all out, you know? Okay. Sometimes okay. you can just be so wrong and you can just ah, cut it right so, out. So,
1: so was I right? Did it not cross over to low too?
0: <laughs> I love it. Ain't funny, it funny, Murder Remix, Jennifer Lopez featuring. I was Valerie. gonna get you see, I was gonna guess Holiday, but most of the time when I really come out swinging on the music trivia, I'm I'm dead on. But when I'm wrong, it's 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 really brutal. Yeah, I'm gonna leave this in there. I need to be humbled. We all need to be humbled do sometimes. It. We should do it like a new metal uh, Jeopardy or something. I already fucking have four Jeopardy boards already queued up, ready to go. Really? I had already yeah. been talking with someone exactly. about it. I had a that we had
2: going behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have four <laughs> Jeopardy boards ready to go. And I even did a volunteer. I'm like, okay, I checked with like my patrons. I'm like, who would be into this? Nobody. So really? I, I don't know if they're ready to be on camera because I would stream it. I don't know if they're oh, down, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, down yeah, like yeah. that. So, but if you would like to be on there, you clearly I would, would I will some volunteer.
1: Ass. I would love I would, to.
0: Okay, if you were on there, I would pony up some top talent to see who could actually give you a run for your money. So, see if
1: Max will do it. Max will probably do it. Max
0: is uh, Max never does Max doesn't really text me back. I don't know if Max actually likes New mail that much because he does not. here's something here's something. Go ahead.
1: I haven't heard from Max since I mentioned you to Max. <laughs> I, texted, I texted Max. I was like, I was like, holiday. I go holiday, holidays, uh what did I say? I said, holidays like crazy, right? Or like like in a good way. What did I say? Hold on. I said, uh, I haven't heard from this guy since I brought you up. Oh, I go, LOL! How amazing is Holiday Kirk?
0: <laughs>
2: he's and I've like, never, he's like, I've never heard from him like, again.
0: Wow, wow! Maybe I will leave this in. What I was, tweeted him yesterday on under your post that he didn't say anything. Anyway. Yeah. I do digress. I do. So the last band that TRL broke—is this true? It was Avenged Sevenfold. Um
1: you could Dark argue that
0: went to number one on it their was chart. Weird. That's I, when
1: TRL sock, dude, it, it was, when, it, it was just like, it was like, wha- it was just like, that was another one where I was just kind of like, man, this is not what me. And by the way, I love seize the day by Avenged Sevenfold. It's like one of my favorite songs. So I'm not ragging on the band Avenged Sevenfold. obviously very talented, sold millions of records. But like, I remember that in no five, like turning on MTV and being like, Who is listening to this? I didn't know anybody that was listening to that, bro. I'm not saying nobody was, but none of my, like, TRL used to reflect what my friends and I listened to. And then there was a time where it was like 12, 13, 14, 15. We're like, I don't know who this show's for anymore, bro, but it's not for us.
0: What's, can you explain, though, the Jesse Camp phenomenon? Even I don't know. Yeah, I I think I've met Jesse
1: Camp. I think I met Jesse Camp at the same place, not at the same night, but the same place that I got two stoned with Crazy Town.
0: That makes a um, lot of sense.
1: Yeah, Jesse Camp. So Jesse Camp, for those that, uh, well, how old do you think the average person is that listens to the New Metal Agenda?
0: Goddamn, anywhere between Probably. what twenty five to forty.
2: I okay. would say maybe even younger, younger really. Me. Yeah, like I would say maybe like anywhere between eighteen and thirty five. All right, a, so if you're on spread. the,
1: if you're on the upper demo of the uh, listening audience right now you can fact check me if you're on the younger demo, I'll try to explain this to you. So uh, the most coveted job in the United States for a young person who liked music in the late 90s was an MTV VJ, right? So you would introduce music videos, you'd inter- You'd interview uh, artists. And so every year they would do wanna be a VJ, which was a nationwide casting call. And like, you could vote by watching MTV and you'd watch these candidates, almost like American Idol, but for a television MTV host. And so- The first edition was it came down to this guy, Dave Holmes, which was like who was pretty knowledgeable and like articulate and came from the world of advertising. And then this crazy person named Jesse Camp with like crazy hair and kind of acted and sounded like he came from a different planet. So as like a joke, there was like this big hoax email chain at the time. Which email chains were like these things that would go viral before viral, right? So you'd get like an email, you'd forward it to everybody that you know, they'd forward it to everybody they know, whatever, go viral. And that was also the methodology of how the bum bum song got yeah. to number one. Yeah, I was looking so at that too. A bit there was this big prank to vote Jesse in. And they they won. And Jesse won. And Jesse uh not only was a VJ on MTV, but also got a recording contract with Columbia Records, released an album. Uh, jesse and the eighth street kids kids i think it's called um but he was a character dude he was really fantastic he would have had like a zillion tiktok followers today my oh issue- man he's so
0: i do have to bring this i have to bring this yeah. up because you actually dropped a fucking bar earlier and i remember when you said it i was like you had specifically said i can't wait to go back in the recording you had been like trl captured the anticipatory moment before social media yeah and i was like yeah yeah, exactly. Where where you had people at home going, I can see myself in this. Like, oh, I voted for that. Well, you had agency over your
1: media. You had a say in your media and you could author your culture in a very visceral, direct way. And it's not unlike what TikTok anticipated, right? Like, I think TikTok became so massive in 2019 before we were probably ever on it with teenagers is because everybody was sick and tired of the over-glamorized, over-filtered bullshit Instagram where you would feel fucking shitty about yourself because you didn't do anything exciting that day. TikTok was just like, yo, I'm grabbing my phone, I'm doing some goofy shit, whatever, whatever. It was like so raw, right? It was almost
0: punk rock social media. And uh, and that anticipated that right. And I think if I had to anticipate the next thing, I think the downfall of TikTok is going to be its heavy, heavy, heavy-handed uh, algorithm, where where I think it feeds people content in a way where people feel like they're being manipulated.
1: Maybe I think the thing that that beats TikTok is just a music-only TikTok. Like, because I would love to find new music with, and all I have to do is scan through. Because we still haven't mastered like the best way to find new songs, right? And uh, I think a TikTok formula algorithm with only snippets of songs would be fantastic because I could just go, I don't like that song. I don't like that song. I don't like that song. I don't like, oh, I like this song. And you could find like, and that would be amazing for artists. And I think that would be really cool. And it's so something It is.
0: It is super hard to anticipate music discovery, I think.
1: But how great of a value proposition is that? I would love to just be like new metal and then just like, swipe through new metal clips of like songs they go oh shit i like that and they would all start at the
0: most compelling part so to bring us speaking of which just bring us to the mo- current moment you host trl now it's not called trl right yeah yeah yeah. but yeah. you were in the are you in the same is it the same studio yeah it's like the other side of it but yeah it's
1: the same exact um because what they did is we don't have that view anymore because they built the billboard so a billboard is like covering the old view but it's of like course. i mean it's the, it's it's probably where I stand is like 50 feet from the other side. I mean, it's smaller. Everyone thinks it's like smaller than uh, they think when they watch it on TV. And you're also really close to the street. That's something that when I first went into that studio, it really jumped out at me because those high angle shots of like Backstreet or Britney, like waving to everybody, they look like they're in the sky. Dude, you can like have a conversation with someone on the street. It's like really close. It's yeah, you close? Know you know what's terrifying is those uh those windows aren't bulletproof. I was reading that. I was reading that yeah. earlier. So the, usually they're double sided windows when you do like a TV show or
0: something like on street level, those aren't. And it was crazy. it seemed to be like pretty openly known. Like if if hey if somebody wants to take you out, this is Bro, where it's gonna happen. <laughs> pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. It is. Yeah, go right in front of this window. You're gonna stand completely still. Perfectly good view here. Lots of buildings. Um, But so now they did attempt a formal TRL reboot a few years ago. Yeah, well, that's how I got involved. So in like 2017,
1: they brought it back and they brought me into audition for it. And when I first came in, it was supposed to be like, because I'm also I'm very opinionated. Music shows like that only work when there's one host. Right. And maybe a correspondent, but like one host, because you need to form a uh, a relationship with that one one host. Like you look at any big, successful MTV music show, 120 minutes. It was Matt Pinfield. Headbangers Ball was Ricky Ratman, right? Uh, TRL, when it was successful, was Carson Daly. And so I liked the idea. I was at Billboard Magazine at the time, and I liked the idea of going over to television. Obviously, I had reverence for the idea of TRL. And um, and then it started to change. And then they were going to put me with this guy from Wild and Out, which is like their comedy show with Nick Cannon. And he was going to be the crazy guy, and I was going to be the music guy. And that was kind of cool. And then it started changing where they were like, we're going to do the other TRL formula and just have like six kids. And that's what I didn't like. And so I did I was not a part of that show, and that show got canceled after six weeks. Did you walk or what happened? I'm trying to remember if I walked. I kind of just like I don't think I ever got the offer, but I remember just like not emailing them again, kind of thing. Like you know what I mean. It's almost like you go on a couple dates and you just like stop talking to the person and you're like, let's see if they answer me. And they never reach back out. But having ghosted MTV. Well, I no, I don't. I I'm trying to remember, it's a long time ago, but I will say this is uh, they did that, it got canceled. And then I was hosting a live talk show on the corner of 4th and Broadway called the Build Series. And that was having at the time, like K-pop was just making sort of landfall in the United States and that was taking off. And there would be these massive crowds stopping traffic in the, uh, in the village there in lower Manhattan by NYU. And Billboard Magazine wrote an article saying Build is the new TRL or Build captures TRL pandemonium. And that came out in June of 2018. The next day I had an email from the head of talent at MTV saying, Hey, we'd like to talk to you. And so uh, they said, Hey, you know, it's just going to be you. We'll have you work with Sway. Who's like a longtime MTV host. And then eventually, uh, I had a co-host, and then, then I became the sole host of TRL top 10, they called it. And then, um, I was the I was the host of Fresh Out Fridays, which was a show on MTV Two, and then in 2020 they combined those shows to make Fresh Out Live. So instead of to, uh, TRL and Fresh Out Fridays, now it's Fresh Out Live. But um, yeah, and then I hosted a bunch of stuff for them as well. But that's like the and I potato. do think
0: you do a better job than anyone in the intervening years that I've seen of, of upholstering and updating the Carson Daly approach, which is you're just like a you're like a rudder in a storm. Like you're you're there. You're not the star, totally, you're, but you're a really dependable presence, and you kind of come into it as a as like not as a fan of each artist, but as somebody like on their level, sure, like looking at them at eye level. Like you're not like Jesse Camp, like crazy. Right. You're not too, but you're not too dull where people aren't looking
1: yeah yeah well thanks i th- I think i think that was a compliment it, um, it
0: was absolutely a compliment.
1: No, th- no no i really appreciate you saying that yeah and i think it's just like that's just kind of who i am and i think that's what i've always appreciated and i always say like hosting hosting like anything is like hosting everything hosting you guys at my house for like a dinner party would be the same as hosting a tv show so oh, we'd love to um yeah i know let's make it happen man that's all we're doing jeopardy um all right by the way i've been trying to get holidays acting like i haven't been trying to get him out here to the valley in uh, los angeles he's in you downtown. fucking jet
0: setter time time i hit you up i
1: you're, know. Like, you're like
0: i am on an airplane yeah because I'm, I'm going to this airplane. job
1: you're interviewing me about i mean you, exactly you answered your own question but um no uh yeah it's um it's uh it's it's just the whole mentality is like i don't know i don't like when people in any like whether it's life or otherwise it's like our posers or put on some side of front and so i don't want to do that on television but that's kind of the idea and
0: i do think that well, how do you how do you approach handling a show like that that used to be such a point of reference in the monoculture after yeah. the monoculture is over? It's like we were saying, like people liked Tierra because they had agency, and now you know you oh yeah you have to take that mast as someone that does not have power over what's going on at all.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is it's really fascinating to me because if you think about it, like let's say like Carson Daly and I were doing the same job, right? Like fundamentally, logistically speaking, we'd report to the same building. It's hair and makeup. It's a script read through wardrobe fitting, you know, it's rehearsal. They load the kids in, you say, what's up to the guests. Right. But I remember walking around Florida one time. uh, And, and I was like looking at all these houses and I was on vacation. It was like around 3. PM. And we're going, man, this was like 20 years ago. And this isn't sour grapes, what I'm about to say. It was more of a fascinating takeaway. I was just looking at all these houses, and I go, this was 20 years ago. I would have been pumped into like all these houses and I would have done the same amount of work. But, and it's funny because when we grow up, we have such reverence for these people. And I'm not saying, like, I mean, look, Carson Daly, uh, the longevity of his career is incredible. I mean, he just, he's got a hit show called Barmageddon right now on USA Network as a producer. You know what I mean? in The Voice and Today Show, he's incredible. He's still on the radio every week. Um. But there's a lot of people back then where I go, man, were you really like that legendary or were you just like force fed to America? And so it is funny doing the same job. And I also do. I am envious because when I when I get off air, the last thing I want to do is make a freaking TikTok or make a fucking tweet. Like, you know, what I mean, it's like I just did my job. And by the way, I grew up wanting to do that. I don't want to. I didn't grow up wanting to fucking do this. You know what I mean? And uh, more power to people that do. But uh, it's like, wow, all they had to do was just do that. All they had to do was like they would get off TV and they, were, they could just fucking do whatever they want.
0: Be a celebrity you know? for the other. Yeah. The you know hours. what I mean? And it's like, wow, what a time. What you an know, interesting time. I, I do. And I do think, again, it's like I can really tell when MTV took to an artist in that era. You can, It's Think about it. I'm not like sitting here watching full 24 hour blocks of MTV programming. Only with yeah. only a small handful of watching just some MTV program, you could see that they're like, nelly we're gonna make him huge sure good charlotte we're gonna blow them the fuck up pop roach they're about to be enormous like they were picking and choosing bands and artists to make them big and it's like a power flex and and to look back like that like they and they could do that they were the only game in town something i've always wondered okay a really time stamped thing that mtv did in the late 90s zeros that you Lost medium never happening again is they would use any licensed song they wanted to in any program they wanted to all the time. They would just like in like in the MTV Cribs episodes, it's a different fucking song every six seconds. And it's never like generic stock music. It's always like one of the big hits of the era. And I have to assume that they were doing that. They they could do that because what were the labels gonna do? Hey, you gotta pay us royalties for that. Fuck you, we're MTV. How we just never play your artists again. Like they had all the power.
1: That was also kind of the business model of how MTV as a company launched, right? Because they outsourced all, I mean, so much of, so much overhead because they didn't pay for the content. So they had distribution through cable services across America. And then the labels would pay for the videos. So, you know, you think about like CBS pays for the shows they air. They pay for that. CBS pays for that, right? MTV doesn't pay for their content, at least back then, right? And so it's like, that's how they kind of got huge so fast and how they were able to survive in the very early years is these labels and these artists were paying for the content and MTV was saying, well, hey, it's all promotional. There's a lot of beef over that. I mean, there were labels that didn't want to put their videos on MTV. There were artists from the 70s that were huge platinum selling rock bands that were like, we're not making videos. And then you see what happened. You know, they fall by the wayside. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just, the platform was so massive. I'm not privy to those deals of music licensing, but I can't imagine anyone would not want their riff played on a Cribs episode.
0: What I imagine, the way I think about it, I just found this out too, is that the show Daria, if you've ever watched Daria in the year 2005 through now, it's pretty dry and it, it never caught for me. Like I'd seen episodes of Daria and just been like, this seems a little meh. Well, what so but the thing is, is when it f- was on MTV contemporaneously, it was packed from the from wall to fucking wall with actual songs. And yeah. when they when they syndicated, when they put it on DVD or syndicated, they had to replace every single one of them. They could not afford to license the songs. And when you watch it, there's like a fan rebuild effort to re insert the songs. I actually posted a clip from one of them that had a corn. Oh, that's song cool. In it. And when you watch those episodes like that, it's like the whole show comes to life. They're listening to like sneaker pimps and they're listening to corn and, you know, there's stuff playing around that would have been playing in the cars in that era or on TVs and stuff. And it suddenly makes sense. And I'm just assuming that MTV was able to be like, like, say to the studio that was working on it, like, you can use any song you want. It doesn't matter. You know, they can't touch us. They'll they're, they'll never get back to you on that. But, but think about it now. Think about it now. You're commissioning and you're doing something animated for Netflix, right? And right. you want to use a Post Malone song you're going to have to ask some people like there will right. be discussions. You're not just doing it. Yeah. But I don't even know if there was anything nefarious
1: going on as much as like I'd imagine. I mean, look, maybe they were paying for the licensing. And, you know, if you look at the credits, they'll probably tell you. But if they weren't, I mean, I would just imagine the platform was like so massive. That's you know what, know I what I think, too. Mean? It's like, you know, you don't get paid to go on SNL. You know what I mean? Or, you know, what any of these are the Super Bowl halftime show famously doesn't pay, right? It's just like promotional. Yeah. Um, but they definitely, I mean, well, here's something interesting that maybe you've never thought about or talked about is I can kind of, uh, I can pinpoint to you when MTV loses the stranglehold on music culture. And it's a real, real dividing line and a really fascinating what if looking back, right? If this went the other way. So uh early 2000s, social media is blowing up. You got Friendster. A live journal, you got you know all this stuff, right? Facebook launches for college kids in 04. You got Myspace launching, I think, in 03. So in 05, MySpace is like huge, it's way bigger than Facebook. And there's a bidding war to, to buy MySpace, right? And it comes down to Rupert Murdoch of News Corp and Tom Freston, who's the head of MTV networks at the time, to get MySpace. And MySpace is the home of music at that point in time, right? This is like prime MySpace era. So
0: even after MySpace burned out as a social platform, there was like a three-year tale where your band still had to have a MySpace. Sure, but 05, like nothing is burned out yet. No, I'm just I mean, saying, yeah. but I, I'm just bolstering your point that even after MySpace was dead, it was still a music platform. Right. And when they tried to relaunch it, remember when they tried to relaunch in like 2014, 15? It was yeah, exclusively... Timberlake. Yeah, Yeah, it was exclusively for music. So, yes, to your point. So
1: Yeah, so there's this bidding war between Tom Fresson, the head of MTV at the time, and then also Rupert Murdoch, the head of News Corp at the time. And basically, Rupert Murdoch uh, outbid Tom Fresson and MTV. And I don't know what led to him outbidding it, but News Corp got MySpace, didn't know what the hell to do with it, and then eventually died to Facebook, right? But, um, and I believe Tom Fresson left MTV after... I don't know if they fired her. I don't know how he left, but you know he also went on to like I think invest in Vice and stuff like that. He's a brilliant guy, Tom Preston, and one of the early employees of MTV back in the day. But uh, so he loses that. But can you imagine in 2005 if MTV gets MySpace and MySpace becomes MTVMusic.com, and now like MTV, the original social media, is the new social media, right? And then there is no Spotify conversation. Like MTV does those deals with the labels, and that absolutely
0: would have changed everything.
1: We would have changed everything. Would have changed everything. And, uh, change but the music everything. got out, right? It's crazy. Yeah. But that's a, there should be a documentary, even like just a short doc about that. That's a fascinating story from 05.
0: That is a total sliding doors moment. I didn't think that's what you're going to say. What I thought you were going to say was, I can't find the quote here, but I was reading, I think it was Vulture or someone's a TRL retrospective, and they have a quote in there from one of the more significant VJs. I don't think it was Carson Daly, but it could have been where they said that the, the moment we knew it was over was when Justin Bieber happened. Cause we had nothing to do with it until then, all the way up until then you still had to like kind of kiss the ring of MTV or TRL or whatever. And yeah. Justin Bieber did not bypass all of it.
1: I think Dave George said that he was uh, one of the showrunners uh, and now he's the head of like ITV America, which is a huge production company um, and maybe a TV channel. But um, yeah, I would say that's, that's interesting. Um I also just, I, I think a lot of things, man, like I think the the closing of the Virgin record store across the street was kind of symbolic, you know, because a lot of those big album release day moments, whether it was Biscuit, Corn, et cetera, they would, or Britney or whatever, is they would do TRL and then they would go across the street and sign like a thousand CDs or whatever the hell, right? It was like the world's biggest record store there. So that closed down. And then I also just think like, just th- most things don't last. You know what I mean? We get sick of things and 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 culture shifts. And it's like when hip hop takes over, you know, would you rather like I remember distinctly in like 2002 being a kid and watching like a lot more BET than MTV because they had 106 and Park. And if you look at the ratings, 106 and Park soared throughout the 2000s, out tanks, because do I want to watch 50 Cent talk to some goofy guy on MTV? Right? Or do I want to watch 50 Cent talk to like uh like Rap City or the Basement or 106 and Park on B E T. That's a cooler, you know what I mean? And then I get 10 rap videos on 106 and Park. is gonna give me two, and then I gotta watch a Hillary Duff video. Like yeah, fuck that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, that's 12 year old me saying fuck that. Hillary Duff, fantastic now. But yeah, you
0: were saying fuck when you were 12.
1: Yeah, bro. edgy motherfucker.
0: Man, not everyone I, was scared of swear words like you, Kirk. I did not swear. I did not swear. I don't know what to tell you, man. Are we allowed to
1: swear here? Am I the first one to swear? I'll be bleeping all this out.
0: I'll be bleeping on this. Okay. Out. <laughs> I apologize. It takes a long time, but it's okay. I think but I think that my cultural significant element for me would have been um like when it, when you think of sunrise to sunset because I didn't have cable. So, but I would I definitely remember feeling incredulous at what American Idol went from because it did went That was from, another moment. Cuz yeah. American Idol it, would have took up, would have took over eh, in the middle, in like the middle of the TRL run, and American Idol was like, when you won American Idol, you were going to the number one spot on the Hot 100 every fucking time. I I'm trying to actually think. I think the first five winners all had a number one single off the show. It was a huge deal. It was appointment television. You had to watch, and it was the same thing. I thought of it right away when you said it was an anticipatory, yeah, social media moment. Well, and because then, but then. 10 years later 2012 2013 american handle is a total non-factor it's a clown show at best and the winners get nothing you know like yeah but you realize like so it's all about like platforms
1: that break artists right so like in 2002 kelly clarkson kelly clarkson would have been a star by the way i mean in any era she would have figured it out like that generational talent right so she breaks through in 2002 Awesome. So then for a couple years there, that's the platform to like break artists on. Is that just like TRL was before that? Okay. So then what, as, as you're saying, as American Idol is dying, what's rising YouTube, social media. So where does the next pop star come from? Justin Bieber, 2007, 2008 on YouTube. So Justin Bieber doesn't need American Idol, right? The same right. way Kelly Clarkson didn't need to get voted on TRL, right? Because if you're looking at like sort of the chemistry equation of that uh, sort of evolution, uh, kids vote for their favorite artists, right? But they don't choose who the artists are, but they vote for their favorite artists. American Idol removes that carbon and goes, no, you're going to vote for who the artists are. You're going to have agency over the start of their career, not You'll the end you of their pick. career. Pick
0: and then, the artist. The, and then after American Idol, YouTube comes along and says, you're the famous person. No, well, totally. And then you. and then once likes
1: and retweets and you know, any sort of like mechanism like that or uh, hearts on TikTok are instituted, we vote every day. So we don't need to vote on, you know, the fucking voice or idol. You know what I'm trying to say? Like but we just vote every day. I think every voice heard every day.
0: I think ever since YouTube came along, though, it's just been one greasy claw at the idea of everyone being famous. Like it's well, just, fame, is,
1: it's Andy Warhol's prediction, man. Everyone gets literally 15 minutes of fame. I mean, especially on TikTok. I mean, I think every American probably has a TikTok that, you know, or not every American, but most have a TikTok that got a million views or 500,000 views or 100,000 views. You know what I mean? A,
0: that is what everyone says. Oh, it's so easy to go viral on TikTok. TikTok is my generation gap. I tell, this, I tell people this. I open TikTok and it's the first time in my long and wintry life where I go, I don't get it and I'm just out.
1: How do you not get it?
0: I don't know. I just I open what it. What don't like, you get about it? What don't, I don't you like about it? The videos that are served me are shit. I don't understand how. Spend they more time me. on it, dude. I,
1: there's so much new metal. Look stuff. at this. You look could at also this.
0: no. You could you could also just own the new metal
1: space on TikTok. Own it.
0: Yeah, I guess. Those don't you clips. have to generate? Don't you have to generate original content though? Can you do like I do, where it's archival material? I follow a lot of like nostalgia accounts and sh- stuff like that. I'll dust sure. it. off. Maybe I'll dust it off again. But I. I mean, I'm. I, It's so dumb, too, because I think to myself, like, wow, I'm really getting into Instagram right now, even though Instagram is it's a really low key story. But Instagram actually is clawing users back from TikTok. in a really in a kind of grindy fashion, I was just reading today about how how Instagram is paying people to make reels, paying people tens of thousands of dollars a month to make the dumbest reels ever and shipping those out. And it's yeah, it's like kind of a building story, but. I think they're doing it, they're doing they're actually managing to get some eyeballs back from TikTok, but that's Damn. a whole other thing.
1: Have you ever um checked out Mad Kelly and Mad Kelly's music?
0: Yeah, he's like he seems super legit. He actually freaks me out because he'll like on TikTok, he'll like rep some like underground new metal bands that he's into. And I'm like, I'm like, oh,
2: that's my shit. That's my well, shit. Yeah. Do
0: you
1: if you if you need to get introduced? I should uh introduce you guys. He's the man. And uh, he's doing crazy numbers on TikTok right now, doing new metal content. So there's an audience for it, dude.
0: Do you think he'd be into coming on this?
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely.
0: I could use the help finding him too, because when I started getting, when his name started making it into my sphere, I was like, oh, cool. So I looked him up on Twitter and his Twitter bio is just, I like this app the least. And that's yeah. it. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah. this is my whole thing.
2: This is how he's I He's the real deal. deal. For the Twitter podcast, not the TikTok. podcast. I know. So. I'm like, this is
0: this is all I got. <laughs> I have no cloud over there. He's gonna be like, fuck this guy. So
1: no, he's a good dude, and he's super legit, man. He's a absolutely a new metal kid and a new metal head.
0: All right, he's one to connect with. Then, well, I do think that about does it here for the new metal agenda. I'd just like to thank Kevin so much for coming on here, taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to make it. Do you want to tell the people where they can find you from here?
1: If you want to hit me up, uh, you'll love my Twitter header. That's a little teaser right there. It is at K-E-V-A-N. Shout out to my Irish roots. K-E-N-N-E-Y. Kevin Kenny across social media. I would love to see it, hear from you. That sort of thing.
0: And you know what? The guy's on television.
1: I am. If you can find yourself a TV set and operate it, know how a clicker works.
0: (laughs) And cable. Yeah, and then have
1: cable. Uh, That is
0: really the problem, right? It's like, well, I'm on cable, and I don't know if people do cable now.
1: Yeah, it's just it depends on what they have. I mean, like I have YouTube TV and I get MTV.
0: Oh, it is? MTV's on there.
1: Yeah, I get MTV Classic too, which is cool. Um, love those music videos. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just depends on what you got. But you know, I post everything online. That's kind of how we consume stuff these days.
0: Well, Kevin, it was fucking it was a fucking honor to have you on at this late hour. Appreciate it so much. I'm sure you're gonna be on some flight somewhere tomorrow. So thanks for making <laughs> the time for us. This is a nice amazing to you, history
2: dude. lesson for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs>
0: Hey, this is Holiday Kirk. Just reminding everyone at home, continue to listen to New Metal Bug. Everyone you know about it. Be seeing you soon enough. Peace.